Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers in the corporate and events world and we importantly meet the person behind the name. My name is Michael Pope and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our guest today? Our next guest is the founder and director of EQ Minds. She is an accredited mindfulness and meditation coach, a psychology student of Adelaide University and a mental health ambassador for Are You OK? She is also a woman on a mission, a mission to reset the corporate agenda, asking businesses to prioritise their employees' mental health first. The mission is grounded and inspired by her own experience. Here today to talk to us about her mission possible, please welcome our next guest, Chelsea Pottinger. Thank you so much, Carson and Michael. It is so great to be here with both of you today. I'm I'm sorry, I've got to stop here. Carson, I thought we were going to talk to the lady like who was a gun netballer who played with Lauren Jackson. Um, <laughs> oh, I must have. That was, that was the other Chelsea, Michael. <laughs> or, or is it, in fact, you, Chelsea Pottinger? And it's basketball, Michael. Come oh, on. damn. Sports, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tempted to pick that up again. But so, net- so netball and Lauren Jackson. Yeah, she might have played netball, but it wasn't what she was known for, was it? Okay. Sport is not my thing. However, Chelsea, I've had the joy of seeing you a couple of times in the recent time, and that is one of the many things that you tell from the stage. Well, what is the point of telling us about that early part of your life? I think we, when it comes to that particular story with, with Lauren Jackson, there was a story around that in terms of her making this incredible basketball team and me getting rejected. And we both grew up in Albury and we, and we played and trained really hard together when we were younger. But that was a defining moment, Michael and Carson, for me in my life was when Loz got chosen, I got knocked back. But it was what I did after that, you know, in terms of I remember still sitting there with Lauren, waiting for my name to get called out. And I was like, only kids sitting there still waiting <laughs> and didn't make it. So I was crying and I called my coach and, and he said to me, Chelsea, you're just not good enough yet. However, if you come to the Aubrey Stadium and you train with me every morning before school, maybe we change your diet, you know, six months from now, you might just make that next uh, New South Wales state team to compete in the Australian Championships. And you know, that was a driving force for me. That really made me realise that, you know what, with hard work and perseverance and a different approach, maybe I could get a different result. And so, you know, long story short, six months later, I did all those things and I trained hard, played hard, changed my approach and I made that team. I was actually the second draft pick. Uh, Lauren Jackson was the number one choice. but I, And I was okay being a number two girl in that team. And so that was one of the defining moments in my life of realising that it takes hard work and it takes discipline and it takes grit. And sometimes these setbacks we have in our life are actually just the most biggest opportunity, right, for our growth. You've taken me to a fork in the road and there's two directions I want to really quickly go down. If we can stay on that word yet, which I remember very strongly from your presentations, jump to the time when you had that interaction with your daughter. (laughs) Yeah, so the, the beautiful thing, I think, you know, being at university and learning these incredible tools about resilience and mental health and mindfulness is that we get to teach our child these kinds of tips and tools. And when Clara was, you know, a young girl, she was four, she used to always come up to me, oh, mummy, 
I can't skip or mummy, I can't ride my bicycle with gears or mummy, I can't, I can't climb that big tree over there. And I used to say to her, yet my sweetheart, yet. However, if you do these few things and, and give us some actions, right, to put up against those kinds of lessons, you will, you'll get there. And, you know, I remember at, in that keynote, Michael, specifically, you know, Clara, when she, she's now, you know, eight, and she, she comes to me now and says things like, you know, mummy, I can't surf yet. Mm-hmm. However, if you pay for my lessons, I can't ride a pony yet, but if you get me one, exactly. um, it, it's a really clear and crystal clear and succinct uh, message to take from the stage. And I, what I also remember from you, Chelsea, is your openness and vulnerability about those setbacks that you've had. Can you take us to the time of Clara's birth? Yeah, sure. So that was probably the main trigger that encouraged me to change my career path and go down this mental health and psychology journey. You know, I used to be in the corporate world. I was doing 12-hour days, Hendrix gin at night, right, to take the edge of the stress, mm-hmm. a lot of coffee to wake up, triathlon training, 12-hour day. It was very much rise and grind, no rest days. That was our mindset back then when I was in the corporate world for a decade. Very unsustainable pace, to be honest. And then after giving birth to Clara, and if you can imagine this, you know, it took us seven years to fall pregnant with her. So I was completely elated to find out that I was pregnant. And then something very ironic happened to me after the birth of Clara, and that is nine weeks after giving birth to her. And the reason why I say ironic is because I'm a really optimistic person. I wasn't expecting to nine weeks post-birth end up in a psych ward fighting for my life with terrible suicidal ideation. That was a real sideswipe for me and my family. And I think in life, you know, you do get to that fork in the road that you're just talking about where you kind of get a couple of choices of what path you end up going down. And when I was laying in a hospital bed, I had two choices really. One was when I recovered, do I return back pre-mental illness living in Sydney, that fast pace, that corporate lifestyle? Or two, do I learn and I grow from this gift? that the universe has just served up to me. So at the end of the five-week stay, my amazing psychiatrist, she's such a weapon of a human being. I love her. I send her a card every year to thank her for saving my life. But at the end of the five-week stay, she said to me, Chelsea, you have this weird fascination with your brain. You're a really nice person. You've walked through the shoes of a very unwell patient. I think you'd be a lovely psychologist. And I thought, right. I'll change. I'll change my life. I'll leave Sydney. I'll move to a small town on the New South Wales South Coast. I'll go back to university. I'll start studying psychology. And and to be honest, Carson and Michael, the mission was then born. And that was this. I never wanted anyone, you both, anyone listening on this podcast, anyone that I see in the keynotes, anyone that I can touch across the world to ever end up where I had, which was in a hospital bed. And I'll do everything in my power every day to empower people to take care of their mental health. And that's that's what started my journey onto the keynote stage, to be honest. The conversation around mental health, as we know, it's become massive and an integral part of, of our well-being and our actual being. But what I really find fascinating is that you were leading, in, in theory, an idyllic life up until the point, obviously, to the postnatal depression. Were there any ever signs pre that? 
I think that was the intense moment of that chemical imbalance for that gene expression to really switch on, plus coupling that with some insomnia and, you know, being a perfectionist back in the day, that really destabilised me not knowing what to do, not not nailing kind of the, the birth perfectly or being able to breastfeed perfectly and, you know, all that kind of crap, those pressures you put on yourself. So that was the catalyst. But to be honest with you, Carson, you know, I actually had experienced anxiety a few years before that. And I was running rubbish down the stairs in our apartment in Sydney and I slipped over and whacked the back of my head and had this vasovagal attack, which is kind of like where you have a seizure, but it's not a seizure because you don't have incontinence and you don't froth at the mouth. It's it's almost like you faint, but you convulse. And so after having that experience of that knock to my head, I went to emergency and they did a whole bunch of um, brain scans and they deemed that this brain scans looked normal. But on the Monday when I went back to work, as you do after you've been knocked out on a Saturday, <laughs> driving through the Harbour Tunnel on the way to work and I have this out-of-body experience and they're called panic attacks. Anyway, so I went and saw the neurologist. They did some more tests. No, your brain seems fine. But I knew I wasn't. My husband knew I wasn't. My doctor knew I wasn't. So I saw a psychologist then actually to help me with uh, some really great cognitive behaviour therapy around driving underneath the Harbour Tunnel. That, you know, I didn't even think about that experience, to be honest, when I became pregnant because I didn't even connect the two. I didn't know what perinatal anxiety and depression was. I was just so happy that I was pregnant. You know, in the last trimester when I was having insomnia, I was just putting it down to restless leg syndrome. I was putting down the anxiety to excitement. I just had no idea. You're in a, you're in a state of denial. I was in denial, yeah, and I think being uneducated, to be honest, I wasn't empowered. I didn't know what the signs and symptoms were of perinatal and postnatal depression, and, uh, yeah, I just didn't connect the dots of the previous experience. On that point of education, I remember you saying from the stage that men are susceptible to postnatal depression as well. I know. It's wild, isn't it? And, And the poor blokes... They talk about it less, you know, and one in 10 men of the statistics will experience perinatal anxiety and depression. I've had some of my very good friends' husbands go through that. That's why I love these conversations with you both. That's why I love being on stage because one of the biggest jobs of mine is to destigmatize mental illness and to talk about it as common as what we would with an asthma attack or, you know, a insulin diagnosis. You know, I think it needs to be that normal so people... I think people operate and think that the brain and the body are separate, whereas the brain is an organ as well. And if it gets sick, you know, it's like an injury, someone getting an injury, we don't just say to them, hey, walk it off, it's all in your, ne- all in your leg. Yeah. But we say to people with a mental illness, or, hey, shake it off, it's all in your head. Yeah. It is in your head. <laughs> That's yeah. where it is. That's a great point. Staying in this area of mental health, I also remember you telling from the stage uh, the tragic statistics of childhood suicide and in Victoria there's recently been a real spike in it can you suggest why perhaps at the moment that there is that spike I what I'm seeing in research is the loneliness epidemic has been huge the pandemic not only was that shocking when people lost their lives to COVID and, and were touched with you know people in their family and friendship circles who died What's even more alarming for us in psychology is the mental illness numbers spiking across our globe because we've been disconnected from each other, and that's not normal. Number two, another factor is social media. I really feel 
that children's brains are so underdeveloped, you know, and they're getting these phones at 12 to that teenage year where they're so vulnerable to their peer support network. They're so vulnerable to the people that they idolize and they don't know what's real and what's not. Mm. And they're constantly comparing themselves to a life that they think is the one that looks like success. And they're spiraling into these rapid rates of self-harm and anxiety and depression and let alone all the bullying, right? The online bullying that goes alongside of that makes me really sad. And that's why I feel like as parents, right, or as, you know, role models to our little nieces and nephews, you are such a great role model for them to give them practical tips and tools. And that's why I say in my session, you know, these these tools aren't just for the people in the room. They're not just for the corporate professionals that are grabbing onto these practical tools they can do. They're also for the people that they love more than themselves in this life. Because if they can walk out of there and use one of those practical tools or tips that we've given them that are science-based and teach it to someone else that they love, oh, my gosh, what a beautiful world that would look like, right? Mm. We're just out there helping each other out one technique at a time. What are the barriers that you think stop people from taking action to try and seek mental health advice and, and help? Yeah, it's a good question. I think some of the barriers are shame. Some of the barriers are guilt. Some of the barriers who for mums and dads, are they worried that they're going to take their baby away from them? That's a real fear. Some of the barriers are there's no resources available. They don't know where to go. One of the biggest jobs of EQ Mind is that proactive piece of let's try and help as many people not fall into the river, right? Because as soon as you fall in, we're really under-resourced here in this country and we need to be doing more of that. Let's talk about EQ Minds. One of the strong things I remember from your presentation is that you're not only a strong presenter, but you're also a vulnerable person on stage because you've had the experiences you've had, but you've coupled that with the science of what's going on in our minds. And was it that last part that's that's triggered that desire to, to spread the word through EQ Minds? I'm someone who needs to see data and mm. science to make a behavioural change. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. I think having the insights at university to be able to share really sort of science-based tools is fantastic because the evidence is there. I remember I turned up to this mindfulness session in the council and there's 600 blokes in high vis and, you know, the topic is mindfulness. Right? I've changed the key topic word now to mindset reset because you walk into a mindfulness session with 600 blokes in high vis, <laughs> they all got their arms folded, yeah. <laughs> eating a meat pie and drinking a, a big M. And then as soon as I started speaking from an authentic, vulnerable place, making it fun because we are trained by comedians and making it really practical by the end of it, right, arms on, they're putting their arms up, asking me questions. And they're great. So I really feel like that science piece is it, it's really important, at least in my eyes and at least in a lot of the clients that I work with. Yeah. They always say that they really enjoy that part. Tell us that transition time from when you did go from a person that's got a desire to communicate to creating the opportunities to be on the stage. Hmm. So I remember, and this is another moment in time and I was laying in the hospital bed, was that I'll never change the world laying here. Mm-hmm. I want to be on the other side of this hospital bed. And so I, after my psychologist saying going back to university and studying my, you know, psychology and I did some mindfulness um, courses and I learned how to be a meditation coach and I was learning a lot of things about myself too. I just immersed myself daily into books and podcasts and research around gut health and mental health. And anyway, I flagged with my husband 
Imagine if the corporate world knew what I now know. How cool would this be? Do you think this would be helpful rather than just knowing about drinking Hendrix gin at the end of the day? (laughs) And he said, yeah, I think this could be a really cute hobby of yours. I'm like, yeah, okay. And he could just see how excited I was. And he said, darling, you realize you never have to work again if you don't want to. And I'm like, no, no, this cannot fail. The fire is within me. I cannot let anyone end up where I had. Let me train in the Rotary Club here in um, Gerringong for free and see what they think. Right. I start off here, right, in my local town. I trained the hospitals, the local Gerringong Rotary, and it was gorgeous because I'd see Bob down at the ocean pools who's 80. Oh, Charles, I'm doing that gratitude every morning instead of checking my phone. Jeez, I feel good. And so that was really warming my heart, you know, six months into my training and getting sort of my content and one of my good friends said, you know, why don't you come up to eBay and speak to the HR person? I think they'd be really interested in a thing called mindfulness. And as you can imagine, you know, back then in 2016, mindfulness wasn't really a hot topic yet yep. in Australia. There's that so word again, I, yet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of catching this wave. And so I went in and saw eBay and they're like, oh, we like the sound of that. Can you come up and do a session on that? And we're going to pay you. I'm like, what? That's unbelievable. So... Off I go, rehearse, rehearse, rehearse to anyone that would listen to me, go up and I do this session. And they loved it. And they said, will you do another eight? And I'm like, right. wow, okay. <laughs> and you pay me for each of them. You pay me? This is <laughs> unbelievable. You're paying me for doing stuff that I love and having an impact on people's life. This is unbelievable. Go home, create the content, right? So I'm starting to upskill my presentation skills do that session those sessions with ebay the gm moves to uber from ebay hey chelsea i loved what you did at ebay can you come to uber right. <laughs> right. And you know westpac picks us up because they see us on linkedin and off we go and so then i start getting asked to do these keynote events and so i engage in some speakers coaches i engage with some comedians and i start just refining my craft Because like in sports, when I used to play basketball at that higher level, we used to film all of our games to refine, to Mm. tweak. It's like an athlete. We are so refined on that stage. And even now I've got a new keynote about to go out to the market. I have been working on that for six months. No one's seen it. I think when you get complacent, I mean, you get, you know, I see some speakers who do the same speech for 10 years and I think, wow, you're not going to have a job for very much longer. Yeah, it's not ideal. But now you are the Lauren Jackson of keynote speakers. What does someone who books Chelsea Pottinger for their conference or their event get? What kind of offerings do you do you have? Well, that is such a compliment. I'm going to tell Loz that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now the Loz of keynotes. You can use that in your marketing, Chelsea, going forward. Yeah. 100%. Thank you, guys, for that tagline. So what we do, so I do a lot of keynote events, about 10 a week. So I do two a day. That is my boundary, by the way. Everyone listening, I don't do any more than that. And then so, get- so can I just interrupt there? Sorry, Chelsea. You say you're doing two a day, 10 a week. 10 a week. Wow. Yes, um, she, she is our first billionaire that we're talking to, Gaza. Yeah, um, <laughs> and the reason, sorry, I, um, I say that, I've been in the industry for over 25 years. That is a lot of keynote speaking. And, and I love the way you've condensed your speech to three minutes. I think that's the clever part. <laughs> going back to your question though around what people will get when they hire someone like myself is that they'll get a 50 minute interactive keynote and a 10 minute q a where they'll ask me questions and they'll win a couple of my signed copies of my my latest book 
Well, it's actually my only book. <laughs> but it is your latest book too. It's only, I've only got so much time. I've only written one book. Um, but I, love- I, I write two a day, uh, every day. Um, so I think you should pick up the pace on the book writing. Your book is called The Mindful High Performer and it combines everything that you've learnt to create a real toolkit for, for anyone who takes that up. What is the one thing, if I was to listen to you speak, Chelsea, that you'd want me to do when I got home? Do you know what's so wild? Because we give the audience like 10 different practical tools that they can do, that they can embed immediately. And they always, like I reckon 80% of the the audience say that this is the one thing that they've done that's changed their life. I'm like, really? Out of everything that we've just spoken about? (laughs) And so what it is, is is one of the morning rituals for success, the way that they optimise those very first few minutes. So when they come out of the deep sleep, what I say to them and I get them to write it down is not to check their phone for the first eight minutes. Now, the reason why I get them to write that brain tip down is because then we back it up with some neuroscience evidence. And that is this, when you wake up, right, and you look at your phone, whatever you're consuming off your phone, particularly in those first few minutes upon waking, the brain is in this theta brainwave state, which is just a fancy word in the neuroscience language for Play-Doh. Okay, so their brain's like Play-Doh. They wake up, they're consuming their phone, news, work email, social media. And so what will happen there, say it's a murder on the news feed, the eyeballs are picking that up, it's streaming back there through the brain into the amygdala, those messages. And the amygdala, which is the stress and anxiety center, gets very reactive and causes a huge cortisol pulse. But it doesn't just stop there. And a little bit of cortisol is good, right? A little bit of stress is good. It gets us up and out of bed. Too much of it, debilitating. Mm. But it doesn't even stop there, that chemical response. You know, the next thing, the adrenal glands will fire up, they'll get norepinephrine. And then the third thing that I think is the most interesting is because their brain is neuroplastic, it's going to start firing up new synaptic connections, right, for things like fear and worry and stress and paranoia. And they haven't even thrown their leg out of the side of the bed yet. They're just in there scrolling away. And so what I suggest that they do is instead of checking their phone when they first wake up is to turn the alarm clock sound off, right, and if it's the beep, beep sound, I ask them to change that alarm clock sound straight away because they're jarring their way into the morning. So change the alarm clock sound, turn the phone down, and inside while they're laying in bed up here, think about five things that they're grateful for. And that has to be, right, a better way to start their day. That's a great take home. And I remember changing my alarm after seeing you. Uh, I now have a cat playing a piano that I got off YouTube. Um, so it kind of combines my internet you know, desire with a nice alarm. We need to say goodbye here, Chelsea. It was such a joy meeting you for the first time and then seeing you again in such a short time really reinforced those messages. And just to repeat what I said earlier, you have a wonderful, vulnerable presentation, but you create such an open and warm space. The q and I remember very viscerally after your presentation. And then that's backed up by the science and the data of which you are so passionate. It, it's a really solid, strong, gee, you get a lot for your money kind of thing when you book Chelsea Pottinger. Thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys are the best. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, Chelsea. And if you want to learn the other nine things that Chelsea didn't get a chance to share today in her keynote talk, please go to www.eqminds.com. You've been listening to Our Next Guest Is, brought to you by Carson White from Leading Voice and MC Michael Pope. You can hear all our guests on iTunes or simply visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.